Are you a professional optimised business? Time to look at Northern Peugeot Bandura to further professionalise your fleet with their updated commercial van range. The team at Northern Peugeot Bandura can help customise your fleet to your business needs. Stock arriving now, so secure your van and beat the rush before the end of financial year madness. Visit northernpeugeot.com.au or call 9119-9008. TNC Supply. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Good to have the Northern Motor Group as uh, sponsors for another year. Fantastic to have them on board. Um, A reminder that we've got some terrific stories and great guests over the next hour. Uh, Gary Cole, uh, former Socceroo coach. Uh, He's done it all, sports administrator. Uh, what hasn't he done in the game? He'll be joining us very, very shortly. Uh, we want to talk to him about the the transition, uh, and I'm not talking about the you know transition from one end of the field to the other, but that transition from when you you're a star player and you want to stay in the game, but you have to move or evolve, and the transition is to manager or coach. So that'll be interesting. Uh, Pakua Frimpong, as usual, is my uh, co-anchor. Um, she's been doing it magnificently the last two weeks uh, while I've been on assignment in the wilds of Queensland. <laughs> How did you cope without was having a, me as your anchor on the side? It, it, was, it was very different. It was, it was uh, strange to have you up in Queensland. And, George, to be honest, I, don't, I, I can sense from you that you didn't love Queensland as much and you miss Melbourne a lot. That's what I can sense. Oh, you're absolutely right. That's what I can it's sense. It's a very different feel when you're in the studio in Docklands. Yeah. Or you're travelling around Australia and thinking to yourself, geez, I, I, I better confirm that my Zoom link is going to work and that Pakua will talk to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Let me in. Let me in. No, she does fine, that occasionally. You're fine. You're fine. No, no, we're going to talk football. There's so many stories. Um, before we go into in-depth and catch up with Gary Cole, I want to look at you and say to you, all right, you win. Uh, we've lost Antonio Conte. Uh, Arsenal continues to fly at the top of the you know English Premier League. Um, we've had international football. There's been some outstanding games played. An outstanding goal by a young guy called Saka. I'd like to sack him, but yeah. no, he just continues to grow from strength to strength, uh, which is just a joy when you remember the turmoil that he went through after missing a penalty in the Euros. What was it, a year ago? Uh, A little bit more than that. just a little bit over a year ago. So he's grown as a young man. He's grown as a footballer. Uh, So experience is a wonderful thing. Uh, We've had some international experience watching some younger Socceroos put their hands up and wanting to play in a couple of games against Ecuador. How good are the Ecuadorians? And I'm not degrading Australia's effort. I've loved what I've seen from there, but the preciseness, the movement, the vertical uh, attacking, just just really good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, watching the, especially the second game and watching Ecuador play, they play some really, really beautiful football. Their link-up play is really nice and they've got some really talented players. And would we you like them. to have been calling that game? <laughs> it would have been nice. It would have been nice, but no, Robbie Thompson did a fantastic job. No, no, I'm not having second. a go at Robbie. No. I'm just asking you, oh, no, as a young professional oh, commentator, would you have loved to have been... Just next to Robbie saying, no worries. <laughs> no, of course, of course. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, always hope to be calling the biggest and the best games. But, you know, I will get there one day and, well, uh, yeah. You certainly will. What did you make What did you make of the two games, one played in in Sydney, one played in Melbourne? What did you make of those two games? Um, I thought the the Socceroos, I think the first game was probably their better of yep, the two. Yep, um, yep, yep. Uh, but, but I think it was a, a really actually a pretty – Nice and even contest in the balance of you yeah. Know, I don't uh, think the scores yeah, are reflective. No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it was like a crazy either way. But no, I thought there was really good passages of play, and I think it's important that we build on the momentum from the World Cup. And for Ecuador, they are they really need to get themselves into really good rhythm because obviously they've got points deducted heading into the Correct. next World Cup. Yes, so yes. that will be a thing they've got to deal with. But I thought they were really entertaining games, and that's what all I want from international football when there aren't major trophies at stake, just really competitive games. Pakua Frimpong is uh, my co-anchor on State of Our Football Nation on FNR, 
And if you haven't joined us before, this is what we do every Thursday. We get a chance to talk about all manner of things, all things that affect the game, uh, and and different things like, for example, why wasn't it played at um, Amy Park in Melbourne? Yeah, that was that was my first question, George. When I like was watching the game, and nearly twenty eight thousand yeah, people yeah, rocked I, up yeah, to Marvel, and I saw and I saw the crowd. I was like, oh, that's a, that looks like around like. You know, twenty five thousand people. That, that that would have been capacity almost yeah, yeah, at, exactly. at Amy, and, and it would have been really, really loud. And it would have been buzzing. It would have been really, really loud, and the atmosphere would have been like great. So it's it was weird to see that it wasn't at Amy. Yep, I'm not quite sure what the reason. Well, reason my it. understanding is, and uh, Peter Philopoulos from Football Australia was very quick to to tweet that, hey, listen, the grounds were not made available to us. We didn't have access. Um, and that sort of kind of surprises me. But again, I've I've been a long time um, uh, uh, visitor to Amy Park, and I know that not always is it available for football because there are concerts galore, there are monster car you know competitions there. So again, this is the the state of the, the of play now. Modern uh, sporting grounds they they're not just for for, for football. They're there for um, you know yeah. uh, business, yeah, and clearly, and the business came first. Football came second. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I'm not quite sure what was happening at Amy, but you know, obviously, I I have no doubt the Football Australia tried their hardest because they I'm would sure. they would have probably projected the numbers of the amount of people and. It, you know, above thirty thousand would have been extremely. Oh. It would have been extremely optimistic, and yep. they would have hoped to fill out completely fill out Marvel. But on a weeknight, it's a little bit more difficult. And I think Amy was would have most likely been their first Correct. preference to fill, to at least fill Correct. it out. And um, but, well, but the good news is that Amy is back as a exactly. football venue this week. Exactly, the Newcastle Jets up against the Melbourne City, yep. and City can't afford to be sitting back. No, they've they got can't. to be scoring goals and it's winning games. Be, it's actually going to be some really great football at Amy all weekend because on Sunday uh, Melbourne City are taking on Canberra there, and that's a that's, that's the double that's, header that's, again, isn't again, it? So that's a decider for uh, in the dub at least for the decider for the top four. Sport. Now, now there was a there was a there were, there were a couple of classic contests, Melbourne City's women's side. <laughs> uh, lost in a seven-goal thriller. Yes. What in heaven's name is going on? Um, Melbourne City. Are they leaking at the back? I, they were because you they can't were say very, they're not potent. They've no, scored they three were, goals. They were very. They were bleaky, but they actually they were potent up front. But actually, George, if you look at the amount of shots they had, they had about I think over twenty something oh shots, and um, compared to Perth's and Perth's deep black were never really. So what's good. going on? I, I think that, you know, Melbourne City, they've got a really strong starting 11. Yep. And, um, they and they got the depth? The, I think their squad depth is not as great as ah, it used to be. And okay. I think certain players are playing in different positions. And sure. it, it, it worked really well at the start of the season. And it, it's kind of fallen away because they've got themselves into this top four battle to make finals where they weren't really there for majority of the season. So they I think they made some critical errors uh, defensively and allowed Perth to win that game. But Perth also really needed to win that game and they weren't going to rest on their laurels. So it's all to play for on Sunday. This final weekend of the dub is going to be amazing. So everybody should definitely check it out. You you mentioned uh, Perth Glory and Perth Glory are saying goodbye to one of their uh, long-time custodians. Their goalkeeper for, what, 150, 160 games is um, stepping away. He's calling it an end to his career. Um, I remember him as a young goalkeeper who got caught out at Amy Park when a Dutch superstar by the name of Orlando Engelaar <laughs> just hit the ball from about 56 metres. I think I've seen Lockie, I think Lockie show me that video. Yeah, yeah, times. yeah. yeah. It's, it's the sort of goal that Gary Cole would have scored in his heyday because he didn't score too many with his head, but he, he would crash the ball into the back of the net given any opportunity. And um, uh, and uh, I'm talking about the Perth goalkeeper who whose name at this precise moment escapes me. I'll find and, him. And I can tell you what makes it even more galling. I remember his father was a superstar for St. George Rugby League Club, played for Australia. He was a lock forward. And here I am thinking to myself, why can I not prize open my brain Liam. and – Liam. Liam Reedy. Liam Reddy. Reddy, that's it. Superstar. Yeah, no, he's been fantastic. What a career he's he's given 
what you know what a what a a legacy he will leave. He plays played at just about every every football club, um, and that's not easy to do. Um, Sydney FC, Wellington. Yep. Uh, keep reading them out. Central Coast Mariners, Western Sydney Wanderers, Perth uh, was clearly his longest stint. Yep. Um, and he started his career all the way back with uh, Parramatta Power. That Parramatta Power. And I think the coach of the Parramatta Power might have been a guy called Nick. Um, um, Hang on a minute. I'm having one of those fabulous, uh, you know, little interludes right now where the name's Nikolakopoulos. No, it wasn't Nikolakopoulos. Thotherakopoulos. There you go. Some of these moments. Gary Cole never suffers from those. Let's go and find him. Uh, Gary, welcome to um, Football Nation Radio. I notice you're scratching your head there. You're, you're, probably, you're probably feeling just like, like me and thinking, he's not going to ask me any names, is he? <laughs> Sorry, George. I've had a few computer challenges just here, so I couldn't get in on my laptop. So I'm now in on my phone. Fantastic. Dinosaur, uh, dinosaur. By the way, by the way, we need to say congratulations to um, to Gary Cole on another. Le- He's one of these super excitable fathers. His daughter, or one of his daughters, is a super super successful basketball player, and she missed the grand final or winning the grand final by how many points, Gary? Oh, good question, George. I can't remember. It was the best of three grand final periods. They lost the first one in Townsville and narrowly lost the second one in Melbourne yeah, last yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were um, doing the Daniel Andrews defence. I can't recall. <laughs> yeah. She scored 26 points. I can recall how many Beck scored a new WNBL record for uh, points scored in a final series. So See, super cool. Moment. How proud the dad is. He remembers her stats, and that's the most important He knows the stats because he knows that mum won't let him get home, won't let him get in. Uh, Gary, thank you for joining us today. Um, It's an opportunity for us to talk a little bit outside the normal football talk. We know that you've had a a tremendous role over the last couple of years with helping, you know, uh, coaches transition and become better coaches. You've been doing a series of podcasts which have been Terrific, giving insight to people and and to, to those to those who want to extend their careers in the game uh, and move from player to to either manager or coach. How difficult a journey is it, and how did you find it making the you know the the transition from player, active player, yep. key player to suddenly the man at the other end where you have to put up the names each and every week on the list. And you have to put up with all the egos and all the the demons that run around in every dressing room that we've ever visited and ever been a part of. Yeah, uh, that, 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 there's a few good questions in there, George. I'll, I'll, <laughs> let's I'll, dig I'll, them I'll out. Do the best. Yeah, no, I'll let's. Do the best to get you know what them. I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Um, the the transition from one to the other is key in all this. And it isn't the system. It's, it's like everyone's player journey, their coaching journey differs. So how you transition can have a huge impact on how that goes. Yep. So for me, for instance, I finished playing and essentially um, was asked to apply for an assistant coaching job at the AIS where Dr. Ron Smith was the new head coach. He wanted someone that played for the Socceroos, had a teaching background, which I did because I'd had 10 years as a primary school teacher here in Melbourne, and and up I went. And my transition was fantastic. I went from playing in the old NSL, had a couple of years prior to that, stopped playing for the Socceroos, and sort of determined that coaching was going to be my future because I was a teacher by trade, and I, by that stage I'd learned that I, I loved teaching human beings and helping them to get better. So I was fortunate enough to go to the AIS, work with some of the best young male footballers in the country with arguably one of the best coach and player educators in the country, Dr Ron Smith. So I had this wonderful apprenticeship of being an assistant coach in a very safe environment where even though we did win most of the time, that the emphasis was on player development. It wasn't on winning games of football and, and whether my role was determined as successful or not wasn't based on whether we won on the weekend or not. So that was a very safe place. Ron ch- constantly challenged me. He said, 
Hey, Gaz, go and have a look at the – if you go into the library, there's a – and this will give this away. Go into the library, there's a whole bunch of videos, um, if people can remember what a video was. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and looking the, at me kind of funny. Yeah, that's right. So get out the, the Sony Betamax and plug in and watch the the um, – what was it? Was it 80, 74, 78, 82 World Cup? Yeah, the, the, one, the, one the one in Spain. Yeah, watch the strikers and watch these strikers and watch the best strikers in the world and how they how they spend most of their time facing forward. Yes, Paolo and, and Paolo an Rossi. Yeah, yeah. Back to back to goal striker. I was blown away that I'd played my whole career and hadn't realised that the best strikers in the world and clearly I didn't fit into that category um, were spending most of the game facing forwards where they could run forwards, move forwards, um, and so Ron continually challenged me that way. So my that that was where my transition happened. And when I moved back to Melbourne at the end of that, I was fortunate enough to go then into a head coaching role at Heidelberg. If I can stay on that theme of that safe transition, um, one of our fantastically talented young coaches, uh, Paddy Kisnorbo, is now coaching in the French second division uh, and and on the steepest learning curve of his life right now, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But this is Paddy's journey. Again, played as a professional in Europe, came back, finished his playing career at Melbourne City, as you're well aware, and then as he was coming to the end of that, started to do his coaching licences, Melbourne City gave him an opportunity, I think in the first instance, to be an assistant coach. With the women's team, right. yeah. then the head coach with the women's team, uh, then an assistant coach in the men's team, um, then the lead assistant coach in the men's team, and finally gave him the head coaching gig in the first team. Now, he was well-educated in the city way of, play- of playing and training for football, had lots of years to develop his craft on the grass, and and then grew into that system and was fantastically successful all the way through because of the quality of the Melbourne City programs for men and women, and had hardly lost the game. And I say that because he's now gone to France in a – I can't remember the name of the team. Twa. Off the top of my head, Twa. But it's Twa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A club owned by the City Group. Correct. Um, who were languishing down the bottom and – Paddy went in and and they've continued, you know, he's had some some successes, but they've also lost games. And what I finally learned, George, is that coaches learn normally learn more when they're losing than when they're winning. The unfortunate side of that, of course, is if you learn too much by losing too many games, you're out of work and you're looking for a new one. Can so, I just can so I just Paddy, pause you can I just pause you there for a moment? Because it brings Absolutely. me to it brings me to a point, and Pakur will remember this. Oh, she may not. Um, there was a, an infamous interview on SBS, which featured yep. Craig Foster, uh, the late um, uh, Les Murray, and a young yep. boy who had been doing some terrific work for the young Socceroos by the name of Ange Postacoglu, and and the and this and the some of that particular interview, the summation, if I can draw from it, is that they were they were saying to him, listen, your record of winning hasn't been too good. There was no there was no talk about how how well are we developing players. It was all about you're not getting the results. So can we just yep. go back for a moment and yep. and and pause and reflect on that interview and then fast forward to where uh, we saw Ange Postacoglu leave that particular moment, make up his mind that from that moment on he would not be anybody else's man, but he would be his man. And yep. then we saw a wonderful discovery with his role at Brisbane Raw. We saw him go in there, completely turn around a program that was wilting and proceed to create a mini dynasty before he moved back into Melbourne and to victory where he again showed his worth. And as we've seen, he's gone to Japan and been a huge success. And now at Celtic, every other day when there's a vacancy, everyone's talking about, I think Ange Postacoglu should put his hand up. So if we can use just those two examples and go back and reflect how sometimes we in the media don't look at it the right way when we're assessing a coach. 
Do you know what I mean? There's sometimes yeah. we all we look at is um, they're not getting the results. It's a results-driven business. Damn it, and we need to move on. How yeah. how hard must it be to keep your head, to have faith in your beliefs and your belief structure, and then take that to into a dressing room with a group of men or in a group of women if you if you're talking the the the, the women's competition, and and yeah. and apply your trade, which is imparting information and giving them confidence to play. Yeah. It, look, look, it, it's absolutely incredibly difficult. The, the, the truth is the media, you know, the, the media writes about football at the pointy end of the game. It yep. rarely writes about the grassroots game. And at grassroots, football can be very, very different. Kids kids playing and, and you know, the sole purpose, hopefully for most coaches at community clubs is that, all the kids are having fun because we know if they have some fun with their friends, they're really enjoying going out, training one a night a week, having a game, they've got a chance of loving football for life like us and, you know, play, coach, maybe referee, maybe be in a club administrator and then then they can educate their own kids and and that cycle continues. But at at the pointy end, it's very unusual for a, a coach in the professional arena to be in a situation where winning doesn't matter. Yeah. Even even Ange, even though Ange was working in the uh, with with a young young soccerers, I can't remember was it was it the Joes or the young yeah, soccerers? I, I think it was the Joes. Was that the one where he had that discussion with Craig? Foster? Yes, yeah, with yeah, Craig yeah. Foster. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which was arguably the the the, the most horrible setup in the history of Australian yep. football. It was disgraceful what went on. Yeah, on, on TV. I was and, disappointed and, from a, three or four different levels because I know I knew all the players, I knew all the people in it, and I, I yeah. kept thinking, why are they doing this? But um, yeah. anyway, that's another time, another place. But continue, please. The, the, the situation for Ange was that he was he'd had he had that success with South Melbourne yes. and been identified as someone that was on on this pathway to getting better and he was going to be a great elite coach and he had a fantastic opportunity with our junior national teams. Junior national teams, different kettle of fish. <laughs> Not like me at the AIS mm. where, where our, our goal was clear, it was written down, it was about developing players. Did we want to win? Yes, but the AIS weren't. You know, we, we weren't playing in any leagues to win. We were playing at the highest level of competition where we could, but it was about developing the athletes individually and collectively. And it was about also the coaches getting an opportunity to grow. So that's one environment. And had had the luxury, if you like, of that transition. And and if I forget, because I'll tend to wander around here, bring me back to <laughs> Ange's start in coaching at South Melbourne because I think that's that's really interesting to this as well. But he goes into that national team setup, and the expectation is winning games of football, qualifying for World Cups, qualifying for well, it wouldn't have been an Asian Cup then. He would have gone in, cleaned up Oceania because that's what we did in those days, and then got on, and we didn't qualify for a World Cup. Or if we did qualify for a World Cup, we didn't get out of the group stage, and we got used to, you know, get, getting in to the world, qualifying for the World Cups, and then doing well in those earlier days. But part of that was that my honest opinion is that we, the rest of Asia started to invest a lot more oh, into yeah. player and coach development and, and we, we sort of sat in our hands. So so it's not to be um, unexpected that a coach coaching a national team or any team at the, at the pointy end of football is going to be criticised if they don't win continually. Unless... And this is a bigger lesson. I don't know that this happens too often, George, but the owner, the board, the chairman says, you know what, Ange, George, Gary, Mary, Martha, whatever the coach is, <laughs> we, we don't, we, we, we really, we understand that we can't invest in this club this year. We're going to go with the kids. We want to develop, develop some kids. So for us, if you can avoid relegation, then we, we understand we're not going to win it this year. He's, uh, t- now, he's, he's telling you. us the Spurs story. Yeah, he is. This is the thing that makes me cry. <laughs> he is. Yeah. 
Pakua's got a question for you, Gary. Gary, you know, hearing you talk about, you know, obviously your transition from player to to the the coaching room, what kind of, what do you think some of the mistakes that players make or or the people guiding those players into the next step of coaching they kind of make? Is it going for too big of a job too early on or is it not going for a big enough job? What do you think some of the hurdles that they have to overcome and some of the mistakes they kind of make sometimes? Yeah, well, the, 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 the... The biggest one is probably even if you go from playing into assistant coaching, that step up from assistant coaching into head coach, the truth is you just don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you think you think you know, you think as a player, you know, we're all confident players. We strut around once you've had some experience. We all think we know what playing's about. We all think as a consequence of that, we seriously believe what the coach should be doing because we can tell him what he's doing right and what he's not doing right. So we come into it, but the truth is when when you're when you get to sit in the hot seat, you don't know what you don't know. And early on, you're on the steepest learning experience of your life. And part of the challenge can be, and I think um, I think maybe John Aloisi found this out because essentially he finished playing, got a coaching gig in the A-League at Brisbane, and he knows a lot about the game. He was a qualified coach, but he hadn't had years of experience out on the pitch coaching players and in coaching games and that game management at the end of it. And again, if I think if you flip that back to Paddy Kisnorbo, one, he was, he was I'm going to say fortunate because he was in that Manchester yes. um, Man- City club environment, the city group environment, but he went from being an assistant coach with the women's team to a head coach in the women's team to an assistant coach in the men's team, to a head coach in the men's team. And I think that was sort of in a period of six years. So by the time he gets there, he's had wonderful experience. He's put on hundreds of, maybe even thousands of coaching sessions for players. Mm. He started to learn what what works and what doesn't work. And, And for me, one of the key things is what you achieved as a player what you knew as a player actually has no relevance to how successful you're going to be as a coach. You know, one of George's um, idols, I know because he's a South Melbourne man, was Alan Davison. Correct. Davo, you know, what a fantastic player he was. Super player. In the old NSL, went overseas. um, Nottingham Forest. Socceroos and came back. but, But Alan, when he went into coaching, found it really difficult because he wanted it and expected the players could all do what he did. Jeez. And he couldn't. You, you touched on something uh, a, a little earlier when you mentioned um, Johnny Aloisi. I remember when Johnny Aloisi was given the reins at Melbourne Heart, the old Melbourne Heart, which morphed yep. and became City. Uh, and yep. for 14 weeks of his coaching career, he had brought in... Jonathan Hermano and uh, uh, um, Orlando Engelar, two very fine players. Both of them yep. were injured. And for 14 weeks of his 15-week stint as the, as the coach, he didn't have access to yep. those two key players. He gets yep. sacked. And the next week, Johnny Von Schipp comes back. Both players are available. Who, who makes the difference in both games? Uh, Jonathan yep. Hermano with a goal. And Orlando Engler. So sometimes you've got to be lucky as well as being oh, good. No you've got to be lucky. And there, that, yep. that's another thing that, that you know, uh, oh, fascinates me. But but coming back to Pakur's question for you, yep. when you're going through that really tough time and you would have had those moments too in your ve- yep. very many uh, roles in, in coaching, who helps you – when your confidence is at its lowest ebb, your players are feeling the pinch and you're looking for inspiration. Who who was the yeah. one who, or did you have a number of, of mentors that you could reach out to and talk to? No, no, no. For me, there, there was only ever one in the coaching realm and that was Dr. Ron Smith. Uh and he had that great gift, still has that great gift of making the complex simple. And I believe the best coaches had uh-huh. that. Yeah. You know, Ange, Ange, he, he, he's, if you listen to what Harry Kill says about Ange, he, he's, he's 
speaks in very simple terms to people. He, he don't get me wrong. He buys in good players that that that, that he likes the way they play, and he, he's able to help them understand and fit into his system very very simply. Yeah. But part of part of the challenge when you don't know what you don't know is as players, because most former players that have played at a decent level have a healthy ego. <laughs> and they because we they we think we know what what we know and we don't know what we don't know, we we, we want to tell we want to tell all the players everything that we know about the game. And of course that, that isn't the recipe to success. They don't no. want to be dictated to. Yeah, they don't want too and much I, information I, either. That's the other that's no, the other dilemma. No, they can't retain it. Is that is that what it is? They can't retain it? Well, or too much well, to ask. I, it depends. People's learning learning styles are different. But uh-huh. if you bombard them, this is what I found, George. I, I, I'd won a championship, Altona. I went I went to Bulleen and I won, an, won another championship in the, in the old Victorian Premier League. Yep. But I got into the second season, um, and and we were we were playing games, and things were happening, and the players were sort of looking across at me. And because they wanted me to solve the problem, <laughs> and it finally dawned finally dawned on me that if the players were looking to me for the solution all the time, I wasn't a very good coach. Gotcha. I, 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 I hadn't got that message across. You hadn't but prepared I hadn't them. You hadn't prepared them. Create an environment where they can learn uh-huh. and under, and understand. And I, and for me, that's where the that's absolutely where the best coaches best coaches get to when their players learn, know and understand. Yet, do do we communicate with them? Yes. But the coach on the sideline isn't making decisions for the player on the the pitch. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Gary Cole, um, uh, as always, whenever we ask you to not only entertain us but come and support us on FNR, uh, you're you're, uh, tremendous. You give us as much as... uh, uh, as you can, and then some more, which is much appreciated. Can I just wish you uh, a, a very good weekend? Uh, I hope you're going to go and watch some football this weekend because you've been um, busy, got- busy watching a lot of basketball. <laughs> I, I have, and, I, and I've just come off the end of two Socceroos games, one in Sydney and one did in Did you enjoy Nome, them? So did you I- enjoy them from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did, George. It's a little bit disappointing with the size of the crowds, but you know, we're, we're midweek games and, and this, that and the other. But I, I thought there was good atmospheres at both games and, and we got to see perhaps some of the, the next generation of, of Australia's finest wearing that green and gold. Um, would, would you have played the young... The would you have play, I, was, I was going to say, would you have liked, loved to have seen the 17-year-old play just for 10 minutes, oh, 15 absolutely. minutes? That, my, my, <laughs> my, my, only, yeah, my only disappointment was that he didn't, he didn't get on the pitch. Yes. Um, yeah. Pakua was sitting there saying, "Why didn't they play him? Why didn't they play him?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't know. So that would have been that. That would have been my only improvement on the whole thing. And and how how good was the the Alexander Robertson story to, to oh, have yeah. his Fabulous. The, the third generation of, oh, yeah. of Socceroos? Well, it, grandfather it, it, Alex for those that, Mark for those like you, for example, who know the who know the individuals and you know the story. Uh, it's even more poignant, isn't it? When you see the the, the young one, um, you know, stand up and show us that that lovely discipline that he's learnt. Well, I suppose it's in the DNA, but he's now at City, yeah. uh, and I'm talking about Manchester City. Uh, Pep Guardiola yeah. is uh, is mentoring and monitoring his movements and giving him the young, the confidence we need. To, and I know he didn't do too much in that first game, but I love the way he gathered himself. Took some time and then then got the, f- the sort of flow of the game, and then before you knew it, two or three moves, and he's offered up a couple of key passes that opened up the defences. Oh, absolutely! It, it, That's, look, quality. He, he's That's quality. That's quality. Great young player now, and and he's going to get better. You know the bit that I really love, George, Go. is that he he he's, he trains with Pep Guardiola on the first team at Manchester City, which is not. In and of itself, isn't isn't a bad feat for a, for a young player. <laughs> no. and, and in that environment where everyone that he plays with is an international from an array of European and South American countries, yep. uh, and I, I believe Alexander would 
also qualified to play for England. And I've got a feeling his his mum might be from South America somewhere. Yes, so yes I believe so. I, I, you know, I think he's got sort of two or three different options to play. But the option he chooses is the one where he pulls on the green and gold like his dad and his grandfather Correct. did. Correct. When he could be tempted in the environment he lives and trains and works in to be... Um, Elsewhere. You know, to, to want something elsewhere. So it's just, yeah. it, it says an awful lot about the, the pride that um, pulling on that green and gold offers us all. Fantastic stuff. And uh, you, you, you've said it again as well as w- we could have expected anyone to tell us. Um, Gary Cole, thank you very much for joining us and for giving us some insight into the challenges when a player makes up his mind that he wants to continue in the game, but not a, no longer as a player, but as a coach or as a manager and the pitfalls and the, and some of the things that they have to endure and some of the things that they have to take on board and learn in their journey to become better at, uh, at uh, the, that part of the game. Gary Cole, thank you very much. Uh, our next guest will be with us very, very shortly. You were, were going to say something, Gary? Yeah, I was just going to thank you guys and encourage you to keep on spreading the gospel of the beautiful game. I love it. <laughs> thank oh, you, nice my one, friend. Uh, excellent stuff. We're going to take a short break. When we come back... Uh, an opportunity to talk to someone who spent an awful lot of his time um, supporting one of the greats of the 74 Socceroos. I'm talking about the late Manfred Schaefer. We're going to be catching up with Joe. Uh, um, and uh, it, it, to me, it's, it's important that we have access to people who knew Manfred Schaefer, um, people who, who uh, loved him and, care, and, and cared for him, Uh, Joe uh, Marigliani will be joining us very, very shortly, and we're thrilled to bits that uh, he's taken the time to be able to make himself available. Thank you. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Looking forward to talking to our next guest. His name is Joe Marigliani. He's been a part of... uh, the, I suppose the support team around Manfred Schaefer for a lifetime. Uh, Joe, welcome to FNR, and thank you very much for making yourself available. Thanks, George. Um, really can, appreciate. Can the I just say? Can I just say deepest sympathies to you, and to all those that you know that have loved uh, Manfred. And we're going to talk about him because for me, um, he played a, a key role at helping one of my clubs, uh, Sydney Olympic. And by the way, for those of you watching us uh, via the uh, the app, you'll see some of the images of the late superstar. He's he was the milkman, wasn't he, uh, Joe? We've That's got what Man- he was we've known got, as. We've got Manfred. Look at that that hard man. Gee, what a, what a character! Tell us about tell us about for for Pakua, my co-anchor, who's only about twenty twenty three soon twenty three. Doesn't doesn't remember the heyday. Doesn't remember the great man. Um, but what did he mean to you first? And how did you run into Manfred Schaefer? Where did it start? Where did your journey with Manfred, the milkman, start? Ah, <laughs> uh, look, George. Um, my journey started to him as as a child, actually, um, when I was growing up, and I was watching the great St George teams playing against my great Arpia team. Oh, always. Wow. Always knew that, you know, the late 60s, um, you know, the early 60s, late 60s, the big battles at the old sports ground, which is now Allianz Stadium, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah those big battles in those nights and, and the amount of times the grand finals between my club up here at the time and Manfred's. Um, and then watching on ABC TV, the great game in Hong Kong when the Jimmy Mackay scored that absolute screamer um, and Manfred played out of his skin that night watching it on ABC. We all got behind the black and white TVs in those days. That's right. Um, people forget that uh, Colour came to Australia in 75. There are young people. I've got two young people I've in the actually, studio. I will say, George, I've actually seen that clip of when Colour first came to Australian oh. television. I've actually seen that. We've got two young people in the studio, one inside and one outside the studio, and they they can't imagine, Joe, that television ever came in any other colour, but but full on colour, yeah, yeah. And um, tell them what it was like to watch it in black and white. Hey, listen, any opportunity <laughs> to watch any opportunity to watch football on TV, 
and if it was in black and white, we really didn't care in those days. Yeah. Um, you know, you had the the football that came in from England uh, on, on the ball um, in those days. Yeah, you didn't appreciate uh, the colours, did you? No claret and blue, nah. no red. Uh, no, nah. no, even Newcastle, we didn't know they were black and white. They could have been red and white. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, that definitely. So in those days, that's how it was. And, um, and, and we, the, the nation actually fell in love with the 74 squad. Uh, it was just amazing. You, remember, they finished and played in a World Cup that was only 16 teams. Not Correct. like today. Top 16. That you've got. Yeah, that you got thirty-two, and I think now it's going to forty-two teams. Yeah, for, forty-two or forty-eight? Maybe 48. Yeah, maybe forty-eight. I think it's going to be. So, yeah, so you, mate, yeah, and, and now it's about the top fifty. <laughs> yeah, these guys were part-timers. Yeah, they were mates. They were comrades. They fought for one another. You know, I, I've been privileged to through Manfred to have met all these guys from seventy-four, and to actually sit in a room with them was yeah. amazing. Yeah, so. I want that, you to. I want you to. Talk, I want you to talk about, uh, yeah. you know, Ruth, uh, you know, uh, Richards, Ray Richards. Uh, I want you to talk about uh, Peter Wilson. All those characters that that really did rise above their station. And as you touched on, um, we, we, I, say, I mentioned the word milkman. Manfred Schaefer had a milk run, and yes. that was his main job. And every and, every and one of those plays. It was a bit of fun. Yeah, every one of those players all had jobs. They're all part timers. The world, the world grasped Australia, and and um, it was amazing the the amount of exposure Australian football got at the time. How do these part timers finish in the top sixteen in the world? Correct. So we were fortunate enough to have them, and and I was fortunate enough to work with the likes of Willie Wallace at the time. Came wow. out. Wow. Uh, as a coach, and then from Willie, Peter Wilson was playing for Arpia in '81. That's when I first started as a trainer. Wow! Um, what and was I he like? Under- Come on, tell us. But everyone, everyone who do- who doesn't know doesn't appreciate uh, Peter Wilson because Wilson, so- for me, is one of the unsung, not unsung heroes. He's one of these guys that didn't really care for the media, didn't care no. for the, you know the trappings. As far as he was concerned. Um, he wanted his team, his mates, to to get on and be successful. That's all he yeah. mattered. That's all he cared about, didn't he? He sure did. Um, they were a special bunch of guys. Um, they still today, the camaraderie between them. But Peter, back in 1981, took over from Willie Wallace when he got sacked at Arpia. Yep. And we went on to win the Phillips Cup. And one of my greatest memories for working in Peter's backroom staff was before we went down to Melbourne for the Phillips Cup final, he presented me with a little trophy. And it was in green and gold, soccer trophy, to say thank you for helping him. But he had, thanks, Keg. And in those days, Keg was my nickname. <laughs> and when I presented to me, I said, Peter, my name's not Keg, it's Joe. He goes, what are you talking about? I thought it was Keg. <laughs> and yeah, that's the type of bloke he was. Um, the, and he believed in youth. He believed in promoting youth. And when he took over from Apia, he promoted a lot of young players. Uh, Rob DeSegli, um, you know, Baz Giampolo was there, Tony Morsello, uh, Genovese. All, all these young boys were starting to get a go at Apia. And we had, um, we had a great team. We went on to win the, the um, Phillips Cup in Melbourne 2-1 against Heidelberg at Olympic Park, which is, was an amazing feat. We had the likes of Marshall Soper was in our team and all that. So... Was this the, the Marshall following- Soper that loves to swing his arm whenever he scores a goal and run up the field? You'd see Marshall. Him. Marshall would just swing his arm. It was like a windmill. Pakur, you do your commentary on Paramount <laughs> Plus. You'd have to you'd have to create a new call for Marshall Soper because he would put that one arm up and it would, it would be like this constant windmill, and he'd be running. Along the sideline, saying like to the fans, chopper. "Get a load of this." Look, am I wrong uh, or am I right, Keg? A hundred percent, Joe. Please. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, um, Marshall. Marshall was well known for upsetting opposition. Oh, I'll yeah. never forget. He upset I'll everybody. I'll never forget when, when that we played Juventus at um, at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and um, he 
Cabrini went right after him because he hit Tacconi in goals. And Marshall went in for him. So two minutes later, Cabrini's gone for him, double footer, and slapped him. And Marshall was good at uh, rolling over and, and putting on the big show. Well, he was so, doing a Neymar before Neymar, correct? Oh, mate, <laughs> he was years ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Pakua thought but, um, that Neymar was original. No, no, yeah. no. no. He was doing a sopa. Yes. Um, and look, that year, um, Peter Peter didn't continue on at, at Arpia. And, and unfortunately, he walked away from the game he did. back then. He did. He did. Um, and rightly so. And, and I'm a big supporter of Peter Wilson because his philosophies on the game and, and his pr- promotion of youth um, was very important to him and close to his heart. So from that, the following year, I, I became a trainer looking after the visiting interstate teams. And in 82, halfway through 82, um, I think it was Doherty that got sacked at Sydney Olympic. Yeah, Tommy Doherty, yep. Yeah, and they brought Manfred in. So, That's right. Um, myself, my master, which at the time was Spencer Thorpe, and myself were asked to go uh, and assist Manfred. And that's where it all began. So that what year. was it like? What was that first meeting with Manfred Schaefer? Because here's a young man who, who was born in East Germany, yeah, as it was in those days, made his way to Australia and, you know, learnt the caper, learnt to become a footballer here, not over there. He yeah. became a footballer here. So talk to us about it. What do you, what do you remember Look, about he, those he early played, days with Manfred? He played for Blacktown City, believe That's it right, or not. That's right, that's where he started. That's right, yeah. And, and, and Blacktown City has a, a, an absolute amazing young uh, policy um, and development for young They've had it for players. years, yeah. 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 So the first initial meeting was at Pratt & Park in the change rooms. Oh, Pratt & Park, go on. Go and on. let me tell you, I had to pinch myself. Uh, yeah. I'm walking into a change room and I didn't know which way to look. I'm walking into the change room to Manfred Schaefer. Yeah. And he goes, hey, you son, <laughs> you ready to do some hard work? <laughs> and I'm going, oh, <laughs> oh, am I in for it? Yeah. And then around us, we had all the big names like, well, Peter, I knew for, for when we went to school, Peter Raskopoulos. Yep. But, um, but he was still a big name in those days. Oh, yeah. Um, Peter Rasko, you had Catholis, you had Marshall was there. So Peter Catholis and Peter Raskopoulos, there's two characters already. <laughs> and, and, and still we needed more people in the, in the dressing room. Uh, oh, give mate. us some more. Give us some more names. Come on. Take me way um, back. Oh, you had Gary Meyer in goals. Um, I think Kenny tremendous, Wilson was still there. Tremendous um, contributor and custodian Gary Meyer. Seven foot tall, yeah. or so, it seemed like he was so thin, wasn't he? An Olympic legend, an Olympic, a Sydney Olympic legend. That's right. Yeah, yep, yep. So, yep. I mean, I walked into the change room and I thought, "Wow, Peter Catholis, Peter Rasco, <laughs> Gary Meyer, and, and Marshall, so- Marshall Soper, Marshall Soper." And I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, we've got our work cut out." <laughs> and then all the young boys coming through, Jimmy Zeros. Uh, you had Nick Theodorakopoulos, yeah, Manny Spanier, Darkus as a young kid coming yes, through. Yes. Um, all these boys coming through and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is going to be one hell of a job. We ended up winning the Phillips Cup that year um, and we continued on. We went, went on to win four years in a row. We won two Northern Division Grand Finals and, um, and two Phillips Cups. So it was quite successful. And what made um, it successful, Joe? What 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 sort of messaging did you keep hearing emanate from uh, Manfred Schaefer? What how Manfred, would he, how would he treat the boys? Manfred coached like he played. Manfred tough, tough. treated hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. Ethics, and he built and pushed into those young guys work ethic and. They're, they already had the natural ability. Yes, they he did. Was, he, he allowed them to express themselves with their natural ability. So he did. He, he gave them yep. the license to thrill, huh? Oh, yeah. That was paramount for him, that, he, that players in his teams had to express themselves, but they had to work hard and, and be disciplined. 
right. and discipline was a big thing. And let me tell you, there, <laughs> if, <laughs> there was some if, there was some times that guys wanted to test the waters, yep. and I think they regret it today <laughs> testing the waters with the big man because he didn't take a backward step. Oh, I can imagine Peter Cathos <laughs> so, going, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, there was a few others as well. Um, and, and I'll tell you um, quite Honestly, yeah. As much as Peter Raskopoulos, um, he was the the casual general. I used to call yes, him. That's good. It, that's it was casual. Great, great description. Great description. Casual, blasé. Yeah. But yet yeah, was he was just a natural. Um, and it was funny. He supported Manfred all the way. Yeah. Um, he he pushed the players and and listened to Manfred and and that's why we were successful. You had a captain who worked together with the coach to push. Um, the team, and they just worked hard. That that every change room I've been in with Manfred, we work hard. It was just every night of the week. And then um, I, I went away from Manfred's change room in '86 after we won the Northern thing, uh, Grand Final because Manfred went to Melbourne. That's right, and to Brunswick he, Juventus was it? Yep, that's correct. Yep. He took over from Boba Rivieri oh, wow. down there. Oh, yeah. Um, and was quite successful down there as well. So he, he spent four years in Melbourne. And in that time, I went back to Apia and I was working with Phil Botelica. The, uh, now, there's another um, great name, another great yeah. name of the Apia uh, legacy crew, Botelico, tough as teak. Um, and, 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 you know, it was funny. Because, and passionate, and passionate. Yeah. Phil, Phil and, and Manfred were very close, even though they played as opposing players. Yeah. They were very, very close. There was um, a different camaraderie in those days, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. On the field was on the field. Off the park, you were mates. Great. Um, and then I went on because, obviously, um, Manfred was still in Melbourne and uh, Rally Rassic took over at Apia. <laughs> um, the, the maestro. The maestro, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The boss was um, another another level and working with rally that year that we were the invincibles. That's right. I understood the four years earlier working under Manfred where Manfred got his, yes, yes. His philosophy on football. Gotcha. Um, the, the boss really emphasized a lot of things that Manfred used in those years. And, and that was another experience and a, and a half. So, I went on from there. I went to Marconi, and then I came back with Manfred in '90. When you were at Marconi, at was Labuzetta president? Yeah, Mr. Labuzetta was president. Yeah, yeah. see, uh, Mr. Labuzetta, that's respect that from is, Joe that is yeah. for a man who's yeah he worked for years and years ago. That's that's terrific. Yeah, go yeah, on. No, Mr. Labuzetta was our chairman, um, and so I did a couple of years with Marconi, and Manfred came back to Sydney, and he. We'd been in touch the whole time he was down in Melbourne. So every time Brunswick would come to Sydney, <laughs> uh, I would look after Brunswick Juventus for him because they yeah, never okay. used to travel with trainers in those days. No, well done. Well done. But being in, being in his change rooms at those times, even with Brunswick Juventus, nothing changed. Nothing same changed. discipline, same same work ethics. We knew I knew my job. I knew exactly what Manfred wanted in his change room on match day, how to prepare the team, the whole lot. And he had, he had his ways. And can I, can to- I just ask you from a, just to help uh, Pakua here because Pakua is doing a, a lot of commentary these days in the uh, W League, in the uh, National Women's League, and um, fantastic the, league by the way. And, yeah, and we're, seeing, we're, we're seeing some great league. talent coming through. But yeah. the question I have for you was: Was all the work done through the week, and he didn't? offered too much on the Sunday or the Saturday, wherever the games were being, were being played. Was all the work done during the week in training? Do you know what I mean? And he, let yeah, them, yeah. And Look, he lets them play on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the Sunday? Look, match preparation was done at training during the week. That's it. So he'd work all hard, really hard during the week. Yep. But, but on match days, there were certain things that had to be pointed out. And then there'd be individual discussions with players and then there'd be a group discussion. Gotcha. So everyone in that change room had to know their job from the gear steward all the way through to the physio, <laughs> the players and himself. Fantastic. Um, so there was, there, there's, there's a lot of structure Joe, that goes on. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Is that 
what helped create a sense of unity within the club and just that you're all heading towards one direction because everybody knew what they were Same page. Knew Same what page. they had to yep. do at all times? Yeah, we used to call our change room the Commonwealth Bank safe. <laughs> so nothing was allowed to go out of that change room. And if anything did go out of that change room, see you later. Wow. But that that was that was the golden rule that I worked under with all the coaches I worked with. Anything got out of our change room, it wouldn't happen. I worked with Frank Farina. I've worked with Zoran Matic, Rally Rasik, um, you name it, Nick Theodorakopoulos. Um, and, and, and all of know, them, and, of course, and all of them, yeah. as you touched on, were, were parts, uh, disciples of either Rally or, or Manfred and, yeah. and or, or Zoran Matic uh, or yeah. Vedran Rožić, who was at, yeah. uh, at, uh, Sydney, at Sydney, Croatia. United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> all wonderful um, messaging and, and, but, and but committed and, and and look like in 1990 when Manfred came back to Apia he was um he he brought in the likes of da- like rally had Darren Stewart yes but but Manfred um, promoted Darren Stewart to captain of the team and then you had there were so many young players coming through then as well like the Brendan Renault Brad Maloney um, you know, these are guys that were are legends of the game. Yeah, yeah Brad Maloney now Today, coaching. He's coaching, coaching young he's soccerers. He's coaching the yeah, national yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and then we went on to Sydney United. Uh, we coached at Sydney Croatia. Um, and you, you have a look at the players that came through. They, the Golden Boys, a lot of the Golden Boys came through and Manfred actually gave them a go. Manfred was the one that promoted them when he took over. You know, you've got the likes of Tony Popovich, who's coaching yep. at Melbourne Victory yep. now. Yep. Ante yep. Milicic, David Zrilic, uh, Ante Moric, Zilko Kalats. They haven't done these too all badly, all these boys, yeah? No, well, they were all playing youth when we took over at Sydney, Croatia. And they went on to represent Australia mm. at the World Cup, the golden era. You know, listening, and- to, you, listening to you talk and take us through this journey and give us, uh, you know, paying tribute to the late Manfred Schaefer, who we lost now, Commiserations and our condolences to his family, and we believe there there will be a funeral soon. There are a couple of things that they're ad- addressing at the moment. Um, I, the one thing I you keep ex- telling us, I haven't actually. I'll have an exclusive for you tonight for FNR Radio. Okay, what is well, it? What is in it? In regards to in regards to Manfred and the funeral and, and some of the other things that are happening in the background. But um, as you can see, and and. These boys, you speak to some of these boys, John Paul Di Marini, yep. another guy. Yes. Um, Brendan Reno, uh, Paul Souris, Eric Histradulu, John Gibson. These are all players. That, uh, Robbie Stanton, assistant coach at, at Sydney FC at the moment. So these boys have gone on. And, and it's funny, when I get together with a lot of these boys, they say to me that a lot of the philosophies that they've taken into their, their coaching now, uh, it comes and stems back from when they worked under Manfred Schaefer. How um, fantastic. They said Manfred taught them a hell of a lot, and they they loved his philosophies, and they use it today. So well, that just goes to show you the legacy the man has left behind um, within our game and, and the fact that he promoted youth. He wasn't scared to give youth a go. If they were happy to work hard, he was happy to give them a go, and, and I think we don't see that today. Yeah, we don't see enough of it today. Yeah. And, and, and a remi- reminder yet again that he, he was known as the milkman. He, yeah. he actually did have a legitimate milk run. But yeah. like the milkman uh, of the past, he always delivered, didn't he? Yes. Yeah? Always delivered. Always delivered. Always delivered. <laughs> always delivered. Always bought. Always. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that vision that we showed early on, <clears throat> pardon me, of Manfred running around, it, it kept him fit. He was rock hard, but that work oh. ethic that you speak of and you knew how much work had to go in, and these are the early days before the sports scientists took us to another level. Yep. Uh, the teachings weren't that far off, were they, Joe? No. Uh, you know, he, he, um, he, he had the German way, which was hard, <laughs> disciplined football. Yep. <laughs> Believe me, he was a hard man. Look, I'll tell you, I, there's one story that lives in my mind. Go, go for it. And will always live in my mind about Manfred. 1986 Northern Grand Final, St. George Stadium against Sydney City. 
which which we won that day. Um, this ball comes over to the bench and it's coming up into the air. <laughs> and all you see, Manfred goes, don't touch the ball. He stands up and he just puts his head back and he puts it right on the top of his head here and he's knocked it. Over the other side of the ground, that's how powerful his head was. And it remains in my in my mind. I think there's vision of it on SBS, but he's not he's headed this ball and it's just gone right over the other side to the river side of St. George Stadium. You know, and they that say that just goes to show you. You know, it's a great story, but I'm also reminded that Gerd Müller, the great uh, you know, German superstar of the seventy four uh, uh, World Cup, uh, remembers very fondly um, the uh, the challenge that he had to uh, to cope with in the shape of Manfred Schaefer. Yeah, well, yeah, that and <clears throat> you you know the man is exceptional when you look at it and you say to yourself, Ferenc Beckenbauer. Oh yeah, Franz Beckenbauer. Yeah, yeah. Und, he, und, und Kaiser. <laughs> he he had ultimate respect for Manfred. How fantastic. Um, he he um, kept in touch with him ever since that World Cup. Wow. Uh, every time that Manfred went to Germany, uh, they always caught up, whether it was for coffee or for dinner with his wife, Hannah, and, and Ferenc Beckenbauer. Um, you know, that that's the kind of respect that Manfred had around the world. And you know something, George? Go. Since he's passing away, it's been overwhelming the the – Pouring of sorrow and yeah, and the outpouring has been amazing. You're right. You're it, right. It's like the, uh, you know, I just pinch myself and I go, "It was just Manfred. It's not just Manfred. No, he's a legend. Yeah, and um, and, and it's not just local football around here. It's Australia wide. Correct, correct. The amount of people, even outside our code, which are acknowledging um the 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 contribution, the hard work. And contribution he's put to our football is amazing. Yeah, um, undeniable, undeniable, and that's why he, we've um, taken the opportunity today. And thank yeah. you very much for the uh, not only making yourself available, not only for providing us with some of the imagery that we saw at the beginning of the interview, but um, you, you said you've got something before you go. What if what what is it you want to break on okay. FNR? Come first, on, first first of all, have you cleared um, this with Jack Zervos, by the way? Because <laughs> Jack Jack is the next best ambassador for the for the game in this country, and and if only Football Australia and, and a bunch of other organisations grasped how valuable an asset Jack Zervos can be, we'd be in a lot better place, wouldn't you think, Joe? Look, um, Jack Zervos, um, what can I say? No, no, no um, don't say too much because he'll get he'll start to blush, nah, and it's not a good thing if he blushes. I don't care if he blushes. Really, he can, <laughs> I'm not really worried. Um, the the man is a man, and, and he 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 does so much behind the scenes, Correct. To yep. try and promote our football, and but not only that, as a human being, uh, you don't meet people like him every day. Well, you know, and, he's got a business called Fantabulous. And it gives you and it gives you an idea how his mind thinks. He yeah. wants things to be fabulous for everybody, and yep, and he's he does. Got, and and whether in the days of his days when he was playing rugby league, God forbid we let him play rugby league. Um, uh, Jack was fearsome then, selfless, yeah, but but also fearless, and he does yep. it in business. He's done it uh, throughout his entire career as a businessman, and here he's he is still, now, yeah, still giving. And he's he's also one of those champions for Rally Rasic, uh, and. Um, well, and the role he plays there is fabulous. But he's, he the was boss. enormously quick to get on the phone and tell me that we have work to do with, with, with paying homage to uh, Manfred Schaefer. Yeah. Look, the boss, as the boss says, um, <laughs> he, um, he, he, um, he says his, boy, his boys don't die. That's, that's rallied. These boys, that 74 squad are his sons. Yeah. And, and – the amount of respect that that man has for his boys. And, and he says none of them die. They no. just move on to the next level. The next platform. But, That's right. Um, but to get back to you about two bits of breaking news Go for on. you. Go on. The be first cool, one. Be cool would be happy. 
The first one is the funeral date has been set. Oh, wow. And it's okay. April, April 21. Okay. People may say, why so long? There's a few logistical things that need to be put in place. Okay. And we need to have that time to prepare. We've been working very – I've been working very closely with Kim and Hannah. Yes. Uh, his wife and daughter and Peter in, in, in London. So Peter needs to get out to Australia. Um, so, and, and I'm working very much to make sure that their wishes are fulfilled yes. in how we, how we farewell. Well, I don't say farewell. That's the wrong word. How we say, see you later. Yep. Because sooner or later we will catch up again. Absolutely. And I believe in that. So yep. how, how we say, see you later to our, to our great legend. Um, the second thing is the other logistical part of this, and it's very important that um, we've heard about CTE. Yes, the concussion. The brain damage. Yes, yes, the disease. Uh, from concussion. Yep. That may lead to dementia or be part of dementia. Yes. Well, Manfred and his family requested that his brain be donated to science. Wow. To, to, um, to research the possibility of him having CTE. Uh, to bring awareness to all footballers, yes, uh, in particular our code, but all the other codes as well, and to help and, and protect those that are playing the game in the future, yeah, the next that's generation. That's correct. So that's that's in a nutshell why it's going to take so long for the thing. But let me assure you, this is the first time the family and I asked him today if it was okay for me to make that announcement okay. on FNR, yep, and to you, George, and your program. Um, because you do a hell of a lot uh, for football in this country through your through your program on a weekly basis, so I thought it was fitting that it was brought up here, and uh, as well as your association with Manfred over the years. Uh, mate, so, we're, we're most appreciative. We thank you very, very much, and to all the football family right across the the world. As we know, uh, the the beauty of uh, what they call streaming radio means we don't have any boundaries. It's a bit like the 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 legacy of Manfred Schaefer. There were no boundaries, so yep. our our signal goes uh, around the world and uh, and across Australia. So to all those lovers uh, and and uh, football fans who want to know more about Manfred Schaefer, it's now been confirmed that April twenty one will be the funeral, and the reasons for that have been provided by Joe. And uh, Joe Marignani, thank you very, very much for, one, the time and for all the support that you've provided today and the stories that you've given us access to uh, in, in paying tribute to a one-of-a-kind milkman uh, who just gave his all at every level of whatever endeavour he was involved in, whether it was his, his morning runs, whether he's uh, coaching and his family. Thank you very much, Joe. Well... Well, George, on behalf of Hannah, yep. his wife, his son Peter and Kim, um, they would like to thank you and your show um, for for putting this on, uh, acknowledging um, Manfred and remembering Manfred in your program. They sincerely would like to thank you and all the listeners and and, and Pakua yourself for for assisting in, in putting this program together. Um, and good luck with the Women's League as well, Pakua. Oh, thank you. For there you go. There you go. Joe's not letting go anybody. Thank you very much, Joe. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, George. Take All care. All the very, very best. Terrific stuff. There you go. We've exceeded our time limit, but um, right. you're going to find a way to fit us in. <laughs> Until yeah. next week, Miss Pakua, good luck. Good luck with your commentary this week. Thank Which you. game are you doing? Uh, Western United taking on Western City Wanderers. Could just... They could get the premier's premier's plate, but we'll see how. Wow. Unlikely, but we'll see how. It goes. Well, you've been backing them all year. I have to do the unbelievable. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. They've had a great season. Either Absolutely. Way, so that's all right. Thank you very much. Until next week. Until next week. You're listening to the state of our football nation on FNR.